Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, I have a bad echo, Mr. Producer. Our number, 877-381-3811. Wow, it disappeared just like that. 877-381-3811. You know, folks, if the media believed in America, if the media believed in Americans, if the media believed in the private sector, If the media would give this president and his administration just a little break, we'd all be celebrating tonight. There is a vaccine that's being worked on that's already entered phase three trial after only six months. Now, every expert who's listening to this program, whether they're scientists in the medical field, They work for a lab or a pharmaceutical company. They know exactly what I'm talking about. This is unheard of. Unheard of. So 30,000 people will receive either the the so-called vaccine, I'll call it that because it's not a vaccine yet, and others will receive something that is really nothing, in order to determine its effect. 30,000 is a massive sampling. Massive. Because if it works, you know, everybody's going to want the vaccine or the vast majority of the people. But I want you to listen to this headline. And by the way, Dr. Fauci said it can come as possible by October, more likely November. The head of the CDC said probably by the end of the year. Now you need to understand, Dr. Fauci's not really involved in the vaccine. But he's more than happy to talk about it. And you can see the headlines where this is already coming. Trump seeks political shot in the arm in vaccine push. 
NBC New York. See what I mean? NIH director hoped for a coronavirus vaccine by the end of 2020. What are they talking about? Well, first, two coronavirus vaccines began the last phase of testing, 30,000-person trials. The vaccines are being developed by Pfizer and biotechnology company Moderna in collaboration with the National Institutes of Health. Um, And I might add, Fauci doesn't run NIH. Just pointing it out. Now, we have never seen anything like this. The President of the United States is out there today trying to explain how incredible this is because the media, you know, if you watch Jake Tapper trash everybody, we don't have enough tests, we don't have enough. We had no tests six months ago. Now millions and millions of people are being tested. But they're not getting the results fast enough. We need the results fast. It's incredible. When you look back and see what's been done in terms of the speed of getting accurate tests and PPEs and ventilators and hospital beds, I don't ever remember this country through the federal government acting so broadly and effectively. And the president is the only one doing this. Congress isn't doing anything other than destroying the country. The courts aren't doing anything other than destroying the country. So the president started this program called Operation Warp Speed to try and get a vaccine as fast as possible. So I did something the media do not do, and unfortunately most people in this business do not do. What is Operation Warp Speed, I asked myself, Mr. Producer. So let's go look at it. Over at HHS.gov, they tell you, Operation Warp Speed aims to deliver 300 million doses of a safe, effective vaccine for COVID-19 by January 2021 as part of a broader strategy to accelerate the development, manufacturing, and distribution of COVID-19 vaccines, therapeutics, and diagnostics, collectively known as countermeasures. How will the goal be accomplished? By investing in and coordinating countermeasure development, It will allow countermeasures such as a vaccine to be delivered to patients more rapidly while adhering to standards for safety and efficacy. And who's working on it? Operation Warp Speed is a partnership among components of the Department of Health and Human Services, including the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Food and Drug Administration, and the National Institutes of Health, and the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, and the Department of Defense. Operation Warp Speed engages with private firms and other federal agencies, including the Department of Agriculture, Department of Energy, Department of VA, Veterans Affairs. It will coordinate existing HHS-wide efforts, including the NIH's Accelerating COVID-19 Therapeutic Inventions and Vaccines Partnership, NIH's Rapid Acceleration of Diagnostics Initiative, and so forth. Development to accelerate Development while maintaining standards for safety and efficacy, OWS, Operation Warp Speed, I'll refer to it as OWS, has been selecting the most promising countermeasure candidates and providing coordinated government support. In other words, they're helping to fund it. Protocols for the demonstration of safety and efficacy are being aligned, which will allow the trials to proceed more quickly, and the protocols for the trials will be overseen by the federal government as opposed to traditional public-private partnership. It's on a fast track in which pharmaceutical companies decide on their own protocols. 
Rather than eliminating steps from a traditional development timeline, steps will proceed simultaneously, such as starting manufacturing of the vaccine at an industrial scale well before the demonstration of vaccine efficacy and safety. So in other words, if they have what they think is a promising vaccine before they even complete phase three trial, they're going to start producing it. They're going to start producing it Because if it turns out to be effective, they want to get it out as fast as possible. Now, I've told you things just now you haven't heard at all, have you? Despite all the Sunday shows, all the 24-7 news channels, despite all the newspapers, you haven't heard any of this. Because they don't want you to know any of this. Trump's too slow. Trump doesn't know what he's doing. Trump calls it a hoax. Because all they do is regurgitate Nancy Pelosi's talking points. They go on. Even though this will increase the financial risks, it will not produce the personal risks. So in other words, they understand that this has financial costs, but they're plowing ahead anyway. Select actions. It says here, select actions to support Operation Warp Speed OWS vaccine development so far include March 30. HHS announced almost half a billion dollars in funds for Johnson & Johnson's candidate vaccine, with phase one clinical trials set to begin this summer. April 16, HHS made up to another half billion in support available to Moderna's candidate vaccine. This is the one that is now in phase three. It began phase one trials on March 16 and received a fast-track designation from the FDA. And they're very excited about this. So there's really two now that are in phase three trials. In other words, the last test level. May 21, HHS announced up to $1.2 billion in support for AstraZeneca's candidate vaccine developed in conjunction with the University of Oxford. So there you have three prime leaders. Three prime leaders. Fourteen promising candidates, they write, have been chosen from the 100-plus vaccine candidates currently in development, some of them already in clinical trials with the U.S. government support including the three I just mentioned. The 14 vaccine candidates are being narrowed down to about seven, representing the most promising candidates from a range of technology options, which will go through further testing and early-stage clinical trials. Large-scale randomized trials for the demonstration of safety and efficacy will proceed for the most promising candidates. So as I say, <coughs> excuse me, two are already in stage three, which is the last phase trial. Is this interesting or am I boring everybody? I hope it's interesting because this is your future. And this is what you're not hearing. The coordinated, unbelievable speed with which the federal government under this president is moving on this with the private sector. I, it's, I don't believe this has ever been done before. Manufacturing. The federal government is making investments in necessary manufacturing capacity at its own risk giving firms confidence that they can invest aggressively in development and allowing faster distribution of an eventual vaccine. It's one thing to have the vaccine. Then you need to get the elements of the vaccine. You have to produce it. You're going to need enough vials. You're going to need enough needles. And hundreds and hundreds of millions of Americans are going to want it and need it. And billions and billions of people across the world are going to be competing for it. Manufacturing capacity for selected candidates will be advanced while they're still in development, 
rather than scaled up after approval or authorization. You see what I'm saying? Manufacturing capacity developed will be used for whatever vaccine is eventually successful, if possible, given the nature of the successful product, regardless of which firms have developed the capacity. So what they're saying there is, whoever comes up first with a vaccine that works, we're going to clear the decks and all the manufacturing facilities that are able to produce it are going to produce that vaccine. The May 21, April 16, March 30 HHS agreements with AstraZeneca, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson respectively include investments in manufacturing capabilities. On June 1, HHS announced a task order with emergent biosolutions to advance domestic manufacturing capabilities and capacity for a potential COVID-19 vaccine, as well as uh, therapeutics, excuse me, worth approximately $628 million. Again, they're already investing in manufacturing and manufacturing facilities as soon as the first successful vaccine comes offline. They're going to move it right into manufacturing. Right into manufacturing. So let's regroup. They've already streamlined the approval process. They're already doing simultaneous experiments and simultaneous approvals. They're already investing in the vaccines just in case they work. They've got 14 online, three up front, two in final trials. They've got the manufacturing, these assembly lines, these factories, already prepared, funding them to be up and running to get out as many vaccines as they, uh, uh, vaccine treatments as they possibly can, that is, with the vials and the needles and all the rest of it that goes with it. Does that sound like a president who's not doing anything? Does that sound like a failed administration where Biden could have done better? So I'm not done discussing this. I want you to understand how incredible this is. How the president and his administration have slashed the usual procedures without cutting safety. How they are literally moving this along. And I'm telling you it's because Trump is a businessman. He's out of the private sector. Biden would have no idea what to do. His people would have no idea what to do in 2009 with the swine flu, which was not nearly as ubiquitous as this, which was not nearly as deadly as this. He had no idea what to do, and they basically didn't do anything. So what Trump is doing here and his people, they're collapsing all the red tape. They're slashing through all the levels. They're ensuring safety. And they are funding in advance to try and get a vaccine to the American people as soon as possible. More on this when I return. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. 
Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right. Now, I'm doing what news organizations used to do, ladies and gentlemen. To give you a piece of information that's relevant to your life and the life of our fellow Americans. Not playing gotcha, not playing games, and lay out what's going on. But what's going on is so positive that the media will not walk you through this. They're just not going to do it, so I am. It's like last night on Fox, on Life, Liberty, and Levin, I had to walk through what Biden has in mind for the suburbs, and we'll get to that later. But right now I want to talk about this vaccine stuff. Before the countermeasures are approved, this from HHS, or authorized, the program will build the necessary plans and infrastructure to distribute. So you've got to invent it, you've got to manufacture it, then you have to distribute it. HHS plans for a tiered approach to vaccine distribution, which will build on allocation methodology developed as part of the pandemic flu planning and be adjusted based on experience during the first wave of the COVID-19 response, data on the virus and its impact on populations, and the performance of each vaccine and the needs of the essential workforce. So in other words, they're going to look at the elderly. They're going to look at people with, uh, who are vulnerable, with uh, morbidities. They're also going to look at the frontline people who are treating the people who are ill. And obviously, they're going to want to get the vaccine to those people as fast as possible. May 12, DOD and HHS announced a $138 million con- contract with Apoject for more than 100 million pre-filled syringes of distribution across the United States by year-end 2020, as well as the development of manufacturing capacity for the ultimate production goal of over 500 million pre-filled syringes in 2021. You imagine this is all being done in six months, and by the time they're all done, it'll all be done within a year. I have never heard of anything this fast, this efficient. And if they're going to trash the president when mistakes are made, they should be praising and crediting the president for what's happening here. June 9, HHS and DOD announced a joint effort to increase domestic manufacturing capacity for vials that may be needed for vaccines and treatment. So they don't know yet how this vaccine will be delivered, whether through vials or whether through syringes directly. $204 million to Corning, $143 million to SIO2 materials. And it goes on and on and on, folks, about what they are doing to get a vaccine, get it manufactured, get it out there so you can use it as fast as humanly possible. It has never, never been done so quickly or so well. What the hell is with this? Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. 
This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. All right, as an aside, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a constitutional conservative. It's what I've been my whole life. I've written seven books on the subject. We talk about it here every day, three hours a day, five days a week for almost 20 years. And I I have to say that, um, and also when it comes to foreign policy, I'm not a John McCain, Marco Rubio, let's send in the troops intervention all the time, every time. On the other hand, I'm not a Rand Paul isolationist either. And I have nothing against Rand Paul, I'm just pointing it out. But this decision by the president here that I just saw, and I just posted on, to nominate retired U.S. Army Colonel Douglas McGregor to be ambassador to Germany, succeeding Richard Grinnell, who was and is fantastic, is shocking to me. Shocking. You've seen this guy on cable, on various cable programs. And he lashes out against neocons, you know, neocons hiding behind the trees, neocons hiding behind the buildings. It's the neocons, this, that, and the other. And uh, and he is weak on Iran. And I don't know how you're weak on Iran, but he is. And so when you point these things out, you're called a hawk or a warmonger by people who've been hawks and warmongers in the past. I'm no warmonger and I'm no hawk. But I'm no pacifist and appeaser either. Because in the end, that leads to more bloodshed. I mean, Iran now is making deals with communist China. Iran is building intercontinental ballistic missiles. You don't need intercontinental ballistic missiles to hit Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. You need them to hit the United States. So the President of the United States is nominating this guy to be ambassador to Germany. And I hope the Senate says no. I hope the Senate says no. I hope the Senate rejects him. Not because the Senate's full of warmongers and neocons and all the rest of it. But because this guy's a disaster. An absolute disaster. President sets national policy. But he needs advisors, I think, who are competent and rational and substantive. This guy is an ideologue, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe he's a neo-lib. Is there such a phrase? I'll call him a neo-lib. But I'm, uh, I'm really quite shocked and disappointed. Others will be cheering this. Our friend Rand Paul will think this is the best choice ever. 
Uh, I'm really quite shocked by this. Grinnell should be the gold standard, and that's the standard you want to you want to meet. But this guy McGregor, disaster. So I'm deeply disappointed in that decision. And look, that happens with presidents who I support strongly, whether it's Reagan, whether it's Trump or so forth. I'm not, you know, a tap dancer for anybody. There are some hosts who are. I am not. I strongly support this president. But in this regard, I think it's a very, very bad decision. I look at this race in Tennessee. Mitch McConnell is throwing all the money he can to get this guy Haggerty elected. And then I'm told he's a conservative. Now, how is he a conservative? Because they trash his opponent, Dr. Manny Seedy. Okay, that doesn't tell me how Haggerty is a conservative in Tennessee. The guy was a Jeb Bush guy. Then he was a Marco Rubio guy. And then he was a Trump guy. And he made an enormous donation to the Trump campaign. He got an appointment as an ambassador to Japan. Does that make him a conservative? Uh, I see Nikki Haley's thrown in with him. That's fine. My friend, and he is my friend, Tom Cotton is thrown in with him. Uh, He's a huge Romney guy up till about two weeks ago, but he was a huge Romney guy. I see no conservative credentials whatsoever. None. For a guy that's been in the public eye for decades, can anybody in the Tea Party movement tell me what this guy did for the Tea Party or any conservatives whatsoever? So he's running against a guy who's 42 years old, who's an Indian American, who's as smart as hell, graduated from Harvard Medical School. Try that. He's a top surgeon at Vanderbilt who's had enough of what's going on in the country. And he's a citizen candidate, an outsider like a Tea Party candidate. They have a $50 contribution. We bought two T-shirts from a family friend who was running for Congress, a leftist who he didn't really support. And out of that, they say he supports infanticide, despite the fact that he's pro-life. That's infanticide? They look what's around him, all the never-Trumpers who are surrounding him and so forth. That doesn't have never-Trumpers surrounding him. He's endorsed the president over and over again. He's the conservative in the race. Now, Rand Paul, who was given birth by the Tea Party movement. Ted Cruz, who was given birth by the Tea Party movement. Jim DeMint, who supported Tea Party movement candidates all throughout this country, including Rand Paul including Ted Cruz, including Mike Lee and others. All three of them support Dr. Manny Seedy. So the, the, the most powerful voices in the Tea Party movement in elected office support Manny Seedy, and we're told he's a Massachusetts liberal. Does that make sense to anybody? Because this is what McConnell does. McConnell's going into every serious Republican primary in the Senate in every state, and he's backing the liberal, he's backing the rhino. Because they're going to vote for him. And Dr. Manny Seedy says, I will not vote for McConnell to be the leader of the Republican Party in the Senate. So what does McConnell do? He throws in another half million dollars to try and defeat the guy. So Haggerty doesn't want to actually run against Dr. Manny Seedy. He wants to run against a caricature of Dr. Manny Seedy that he is creating with the help of McConnell. 
And these other conservatives and so forth who have thrown in with Haggerty, some of whom are my friends, I'm very disappointed in them. As I say, some of them are my very good friends. Because they view this as a Trump race. It's not a Trump race. Which one of these candidates will be more loyal to the President of the United States? Well, the most conservative will be. If you have a guy that gave $100,000 to Romney and was one of his national finance chairmen in 2012, which Haggerty was, you think he's going to be that loyal to President Trump? But President Trump endorsed him. So what? So what? You've got to think independently as conservatives, as pro-Trumpers. I mean, Romney was pretty positive on President Trump. When did he Mr. Producer? Wanted to be Secretary of State? Loved him. And when he ran for the Senate, embraced him. Then he gets to the Senate, votes to impeach him. Excuse me, to remove him. No more of that crap. No more. You run as one thing and another. And the people in Tennessee, they've seen this over and over and over again. Lamar Alexander is a perfect example. When he ran for re-election, he, he talked to the Tea Party uh, activists there. He talked to the conservatives, said, I'm going to be good. What does he do? He gets elected, and he's a lib for all intents and purposes. And they're using that same playbook. Haggerty is in Tennessee. He's outspending Dr. Manny Seedy, the citizen candidate, three to four to one with massive commercials that are trying to turn Haggerty into this Tea Party conservative and Dr. Manny into a Massachusetts liberal. This is the kind of stuff the left does. This is the kind of stuff Biden tries to do to the president. They don't actually want to run toe-to-toe rhino against conservative because they'll lose. So people either get confused or they vote the wrong way. Now, unlike a lot of these people who are getting involved in this race from Washington, D.C. and other places. I have two kids that live in that state, a son-in-law who lives in that state, and two grandkids who live in that state. So this matters to me. Matters to me a lot. Our good friend Matt Boyle, and he is a good friend over at Breitbart, has written two scathing attacks on Dr. Manny SETI, which are outrageous attacks. Third person removed, did this and that, and that's where they're getting this uh, never-Trumper stuff from. But the guy's clearly not a never-Trumper. The guy's clearly running to the right of Haggerty. The guy's clearly, clearly has the Tea Party conservative support. The guy's clearly solid on the issues. And Haggerty's been in public you know, positions and an activist for so many days, and you can't point to his conservatism. You just have to have people keep saying, he's conservative, Dr. Manny's not. He's conservative, Dr. Manny's not. This guy Haggerty's a bully. McConnell's a bully. I can't stand McConnell. I can't stand Romney. So why are McConnell, that's enough for me, why are McConnell and Romney backing Haggerty? Well, Romney hasn't formally endorsed Haggerty. He said he'd love to see him in the Senate not so long ago. I'm sure they told him to keep his mouth shut because it'll, it'll destroy Haggerty. Now you might say, Mark, this is wonderful. I don't live in Tennessee, of course. But you're smart enough to know that senators vote on matters that involve you. I don't care where you live. 
And when you have a Republican state, we've got to send conservatives or this thing is over. If we keep sending rhinos, it's over. Because then the Democrats not only win their seats, the rhinos win our seats. Who speaks for us? Nobody. Nobody in Congress. Nobody in the Senate. We need more Ted Cruz's. We need more Mike Lee's. We need more you know, people of this sort who are going to go in there and make a difference, who are going to have the guts to stand up. Not Haggerty. That's just my opinion. And this nomination to Germany, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Oh, yeah, the same thing will be done with this guy. He's been around Washington forever. The liberal think tanks and so forth and so But no, no, you don't understand. He's not a war hawk. He's not part of the military machine. He's not part of all this stuff. That's right. Aren't you sick of endless wars? Why, are we, why would you appoint a guy like this? You can oppose endless wars and not be part of the military machine in Washington, D.C. and choose somebody like Rick Grinnell, who is so outstanding and superb. But no, the bottom of the barrel. I'll be right back. Lovin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom. And freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale's been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, Commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Well, the great LeBron James over at The Blaze, which is a great site too, by the way. LeBron James's voting rights group is paying fines for convicted felons so they can vote in Florida. The voting rights organization founded by James is contributing $100,000 towards paying fines for convicted felons in Florida so they can vote. Now, I would ask the, the individuals who are not systemically racist like hard-working, law-abiding men and women in the inner cities, is this what you care about? More than a vote is partnering with Florida Rights Restoration Coalition in this effort. Look, LeBron James is a phony and a fraud. He's a billionaire. He had no problem with repression and genocide in China. Sorry, I'm telling you the truth. No problem at all. When the GM of the Houston Rockets spoke out, he dumped all over that guy. He's kept his mouth absolutely shut as the anti-Semites in some of these leagues have opened their big mouths and, and misquote Hitler in order to trash Jews. He hadn't said a damn thing about that. 
When it comes to the vote, what he wants is Democrats voting. That's all he cares about. He's a Democrat Party apparatchik who plays basketball. That's the way I look at it, period. Good job, down with the revolution. Genius. You're down with the revolution. You live among the people you claim to care about. I've seen people who've been down for the revolution. You live among them. You send your kids to the same schools. You invest your money in these communities. Not a damn thing. Helping ex-felons vote. That's a real top priority, I'll tell you what. And what have these ex-felons done? We don't know. You know, it's amazing. I have enough here to do a show for 24 hours, Mr. Maduro. Don't I? But I thought it was important to go through this vaccination issue. Because here the president is getting the, the, the credit and the due that he deserves. I don't watch these damn Sunday shows, except, of course, my own. I mean, I don't watch that barely either, but I want you to watch it. But these, these Sunday shows are all about drama for the host. Like Jake Tapper. What a complete buffoon and loser. Complete buffoon and loser. He's the assistant secretary of HHS on there. The admiral who's in charge of testing, among other things. The guy can barely finish his explanations because his explanation is, let me show you all this massive progress we're making and we're going to be making more. I don't want to hear that. What about now? We don't have to test now. There's nothing now. Does anybody ever remember Obama or Biden during the swine flu in 2009 being questioned like this? Ever? No. So NBC's out there that this is all political for Trump. Well, he does deserve credit for what he's doing since he's been working on it night and day, and so is his staff and his administration. Does anybody know of a vaccination process that has been handled so brilliantly and efficiently with coordination at every level between the relevant entities of the federal government and these powerful private sector corporations? Does anybody? That they're already planning what kind of vials and and syringes they're going to need and who's going to produce them and how fast they can produce them if they have the vaccine ready to go? Again, that's the difference between an outsider who was a businessman who understands you got to get to the end game. It's not good enough to have all these beginning and, and, and middle points. You're not going to see this sort of thing out of Biden. We know this because we didn't see it in 2009. Nancy Pelosi's there with her false teeth falling out of her face. Her, uh, her may I say, stretch job moving from her forehead to her chin. Barely literate. She's got the Joe Biden disease. Just shooting spitballs all the time. She hasn't done a damn thing. Oh, no, I'm wrong about that. She's endorsed the rioters, the arson, the looting. How do you know that? She hasn't opposed it. She hasn't spoken out against it. She's calling cops, you know, Nazi stormtroopers. You know, stuff like that. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. 
3811. You know, some of you are tired of hearing this, and I was tired of hearing it until I really delved into it even more. There are serious scientists, serious practicing medical doctors who continue to argue that hydroxychloroquine will save lives. But it's become so politicized by the media because the president brought it up early on and opposed by the likes of Fauci, who I don't think has had a patient in like 50 years, Mr. Producer, that this, what was considered, this over, you know, this drug that was, that, that, that's been prescribed by the billions over decades and decades has now been politicized and is treated like it's not effective. And we have professors, we have scientific experts, we have all, and the media, of course, you know not to believe the media. They have riots right in front of their big faces and they pretend they're not riots. Well, the same thing with this hydroxychloroquine. And we're going to talk more about this, not obsessively so, but we're going to talk more about this as we move forward. Now, I was telling you about this Assistant Secretary, this Admiral Brett Grory, you pronounce it, G-I-R-O-I-R, Grory. And this, this interview he was having with Jake Tapper. So I want you to listen to this, and then I want you to first listen to Tapper's question. And ask yourselves, is this a reporter? Cut 10, go. Has the president invoked the DPA to get labs up to speed, lab hiring and lab equipment? Uh, And you don't even need to do the DPA to do that for federal labs. That's what I'm talking about. There seems to be this reluctance to push the president to do what he needs to do to get the testing up. Now, stop one minute. I spent half of the first hour of this program going over the vaccine issue, right? Does it sound like there's reluctance on the part of the president to do anything? He will do anything to defeat this virus. He will do anything to improve the testing, and he has done everything. There's more to do, and they want to do more. But you've never seen the federal government operate so smoothly, have you? Seriously. Never. Go ahead. A misguided impression that more testing is bad and makes him look bad. Uh, which, as you know, is completely false. No, that's actually completely right. What he meant by that, of course, as we all know, is the more tests you have, the more positive readings there are of the virus. And the media runs with it. My God, the virus, it's out of control. So you you are now able to transparently report the existence of the virus in that individual, whereas before they may have had the virus, but you couldn't report it. And it's also the way the media has lied about the mortality rate, the various websites, and the media themselves, when there's two charts, and they pick the chart that looks the worst, because you're looking at a daily count, not the number of people who got it that day, a daily count, which can include people who've been found out a month ago, and they throw it into today's number. This is all intended to damage the president and these Republican governors. We all know this now. We all know this. The closure of the schools, same exact thing. They're not following the science. They don't want to follow the science. And Jake Tapper doesn't press that point, notice. 
And we also know that the vast amount of deaths are people 65 and over. We also know that almost half of them were people in nursing homes and assisted living homes. Cuomo doesn't get any of the, uh, the uh, discredit that's due him and Murphy and these other governors. Nothing. Go ahead. And others are just afraid to do this because you don't want to upset him. Afraid to ask him to do what he needs to do to invoke the DPA, to force the federal labs to get up to speed. To You know, let me just stop there. They don't know Donald Trump in the least. There have been occasions, not many, because I'm very cautious about what I do and don't do, but I, where I've contacted the president on an issue where we might disagree. And let me tell you something. He has spent 20 minutes with me on the phone, 30 minutes with me on the phone. He listens to what I say. He responds to it. I may say something, he responds again. This guy's very, very uh, open to ideas and thoughts and so forth. They've created a caricature of Donald Trump that does not exist. Or that disgruntled former staffers and employees are, are creating with their books or, or with their leaks or whatever. You can talk to Donald Trump extremely easily and raise issues with him. He may not agree with you, but the, 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 the characterization of the president borne out by this so-called question is absurd. People are afraid to bring this up to him. Nobody's afraid to bring anything up to him. Go ahead. To be so that we can isolate the virus. As you know, when you say people who need a test can get a test, there's a huge percentage of people who have the coronavirus who are asymptomatic. And they, quote unquote, don't need to be tested according to this standard. But the point is, in order to identify and isolate the virus, it needs to be much more widespread, the testing, so we can see people who are carriers who don't have symptoms. That's the point. Are you afraid to bring this up to President So let's stop a minute. That means every individual in the United States has to be tested now. And I assume tested every day, right? Because you can have the virus one day and not another day. Is that what he's saying? Because if that's what he's saying, that's an impossibility. Are you going to test everybody every day? One day they have it, one day they don't? Because some are asymptomatic? I mean, just think about what he's saying. Go ahead. It will upset him. So, so, Jake, there's about six different things that you said in there, and let me unpack it a little bit. But let me start with the first premise. Um, everyone in the administration understands the importance of testing. Nobody in the task force is afraid to bring up anything either, either to the vice president or the president. Every time I've met with the president, he's been uh, listening to all the data. He assesses that. He understands it. I meet with the vice president almost every single day. No one is trying to stop testing in this country. No one has ever told me to do that. In fact, we want more. We want better. We want quicker. So let me just put that to rest right there. Cut 11. Go. If there is a stone that needs to be turned, that is left unturned, you tell me what it is. But from my vantage point, I we've just invoked told you, all the authorities. Get federal labs... Get federal labs to hire more people and get more equipment so you can increase turnaround time. All right, time. let's stop. See, see, just hire more people and get more equipment. What's the problem? What's the Just hire more people. And where are these people, Jake? And where is this equipment, you idiot? See, these people who've never done anything with their hands, who've never created anything, who are utterly unfamiliar with how the private sector just get more people and get more equipment for the federal labs. 
Now, the vast majority of testing isn't going to be done in federal labs. It's going to be done in private labs, like with LabCorp and so forth. So that's not a fix. He just wants to sound like he knows something. He doesn't know anything. And what this poor guy's trying to tell him is we're pressing every lever we have. And then some. Go ahead. Invoke the DPA so that commercial labs all over the country, uh, ones that you're not using, five veterinary labs is not impressive to me, sir. No, no, no. Uh, get I didn't all say of those that. labs you know, up to no, speed. No, 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 no. I said five veterinary labs have their CLIA certification to officially test human patients. There are a lot of labs who are doing surveillance testing that don't need the CLIA certification. Now, let's stop here a second. So there's these vet labs that they've turned into basically human labs. And he says, well, that's not, there's got to be more. That's five lads. I'm not impressed. Jake Tapper goes into this not knowing anything. He goes into this interview not knowing actually how many people, how many labs are working on this. What are the resources being used? And the way you would do an interview like this, if you were serious reporters, you would ask those questions. And is it possible, let alone even rational, to be testing everybody in the United States every day, which is what would be required? And so that doesn't make any sense. So when he's done this interview, you have no idea what he's talking about. And the gentleman, Garor, Rear Admiral, who is responsible for this, probably has an enormous amount of additional information he can provide. But he never gets to provide it. Because Jake Tapper is there with an agenda and a narrative. The administration is not doing enough. Ladies and gentlemen, if the president could conquer this virus single-handedly tomorrow, don't you think he would? If they could have tests for everybody every day with the test results within minutes, don't you think the president would want to do that? Not only because he believes in trying to solve this problem, but politically it would be a a good thing, wouldn't it, Mr. Producer? So why would he hold back? Why would the administration... You're going to say they're incompetent? Jake, why don't you go to the HHS.com website and look at actually what they're doing. They give you dates. They give you dollar figures. They give you the name of companies. You and your research staff can actually follow up with them and find out. Why don't you contact LabCorp and these other labs and see exactly what's going on? You don't, you don't even do your basic fundamental work before you start popping off. Then he trashes Chris Wallace. I've never seen a media conduct itself this way, where newsmen attack newsmen and on. I, I've never really seen anything like this before. And Tapper has nothing to say about Joe Biden. Nothing. We have an election coming up now in less than 100 days. We have two candidates. So we need to compare the candidates. Now, if Jake Tapper were fair and he's not, he would demand that Joe Biden sit for an interview too, as Chris Wallace keeps demanding. And Jake Tapper would ask Biden about the 2009 swine flu, H1N1, and, and what Rod Klain, his chief of staff, said that, now he's backpedal because they got to him, but he said, we didn't do anything right. It was sheer luck that people didn't die left and right. Something to that effect. 
So, Joe, what makes you think you could take a more ubiquitous, more dangerous, more complex virus and handle that right when you couldn't handle the swine flu right? I mean, there's a lot of questions asked Joe Biden. Why are you calling the president a racist when it was you who said the most god-awful things about busing? I don't support busing, as I've said again and again. But what he said could have come straight out of the mouth of a segregationist. And why did you work with the segregationists? You were proud. Remember Kamala Harris, the woman you're thinking of being your running mate? Remember what she said about your comments? How do you defend that? Remember what you said to this guy? What the hell's his name? The DJ or the... uh, Charlemagne the God. And you know why Joe Biden needs or thinks he needs a running mate who is female and is likely African-American. Do you want to know why? Because the African-American vote, while it'll turn out mostly, overwhelmingly for, for Biden, it's still soft. And he wants to lock up the female vote. So he needs a female who's African-American, he fears, to lock up that vote. Because Joe on his own can't. You want to know why? Because of the things he said about African-Americans and the nothingness of his 36 and a half years in the Senate and his eight years as vice president is nothingness when it comes to the African-American community. That's why he feels he needs to pick a woman of color as a running mate. Shocking. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Question time. I have a question. Can you name one Democrat leader who's condemned the riots and the violence in Portland against the United States federal courthouse? Can you name one? I haven't heard one. Have you? It's been going on for two months. Can you name one Democrat leader who has condemned the use of those lasers? I'd like to know about those three cops who were blinded. If it's permanent, I happen to know, as a matter of fact, eyes are very fragile and sensitive, and there's only so much you can do when somebody loses their sight. Almost nothing. What happened to those cops? What are their names? Have you heard one Democrat leader condemn what took place in Seattle last night? 
Have you heard one Democrat leader condemn the massive homicide rate in Chicago on black-on-black crime? Have you heard one Democrat leader condemn the massive increase in sexual assaults taking place in parts of Minneapolis, Minnesota? The massive increase in killings in New York City? In crime in Philadelphia? When's the last time Nancy Pelosi condemned any of this? She never has. When's the last time Chuck Schumer condemned any of this? He never has. Joe Biden, has he issued a statement? No. They've been trashing the cops. They've been trashing the president. They use words like stormtrooper and Gestapo and secret police. They want you to believe that these men and women who are defending our courthouses, trying to defend our neighborhoods against this Marxist, anarchist, violent, paramilitary wing of the Democrat Party, that they are peaceful protesters and but for Trump and but for federal law enforcement, but for local law enforcement, but for systemic racism, none of this would be going on. If you vote for a Democrat in this election, I'll reverse what Biden said, Mr. Producer. If you vote for a Democrat in this election, you're an idiot. You truly are an idiot. They want to fight the system. Just think about what they want to do. The system is systemically racist, right? Listen to the idiot LeBron James. The system is systemically oppressive and suppressive and racist. So what's the idiot LeBron James want to do? What's the idiot Nancy Pelosi want to do? What do all these idiots want to do? Massively expand and empower the system. So the system that's racist needs to be bigger. So vote Democrat. The same Democrats who run our inner cities... The same Democrats who allow their citizens, particularly their black citizens, to get abused and murdered. The same Democrats who force these people into schools that don't teach. Elect more of them. Elect them on the national level. Impose their will in every quarter of the country. You haven't heard a single damn Democrat leader condemn what you see on television. Mostly thanks to these citizen reporters like Ami Horowitz and a few of the others who literally have the guts to go into these things, take video, and provide them to us. Not like Jake Tapper sitting there with that constipated look on his face. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The voice of America. Dial in now at 
800-529-3811. You know, I hear these Biden propagandists on TV. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. He's going to do it. Oh, he's going to do it. And Trump hasn't done anything. He's going to do that. How long has this, this clown been in Washington, D.C., Mr. Blues? Half a century? He's not going to do half of what he says. Now, what do I mean by that? Oh, yeah, they'll try and put 100% of their radical left-wing agenda in place, but they're not going to get the results that they're saying they're going to get. He's just going to pour money into more government, 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 government. Now, we had an explosive show Sunday night on life, liberty, and living, and I told you it would be on the plans for the suburbs. I always love it, Mr. Producer, when other hosts say, as I've been saying for three years, they've been saying nothing. And so now we've put this on the national radar. We did it last week with our interview of Stanley Kurtz on the radio, and we did it Sunday again. And it is crucial that people understand what's going to happen in so many communities in this country. Not just white communities, liberals, where most of you live. No. Suburbs, period. Even suburbs that are so thoroughly uh, diverse when it comes to race. That's not the goal here. The goal is to destroy the suburbs, devour them into the federal Leviathan where the Democrats can, can control them and then control the vote forevermore. Some of you may not have had an opportunity to watch that. I hope you did, but we're going to play some of the clips from this because I continue to want to, be, to, want to push this out uh, and we'll be the tip of the spear here and keep getting this out. Because this is the greatest secret the left has. When you bring it up, they try and whack you down by calling you a supremacist. Just don't worry what they call it. They're, they're pieces of you-know-what. doesn't matter what they say. It matters what we say. And we'll start that in a moment. We'll start at this hour and we'll move into the next hour because it's very, very crucial. Many of you people listening to this program do not live in inner cities. Many of you do, but many of you don't. But it affects both of you. Some of you want to get out of these cities now that you thought you would be safe and you would enjoy the, the atmosphere of a city, but you see how violent they are now. You do. Of course, the media does, but they pretend they don't. The Democrats are perfectly happy with this. Perfectly happy with this. You know, my source for window treatments, Blindster.com, sells custom blinds and shades at affordable prices and provides the absolutely best customer service humanly possible. Since 2010, they've sold hundreds of thousands of blinds to satisfied customers across the country, including me. Just check out their more than 10,000 customer reviews online. Blindster.com has easy-to-follow measuring and installation instructions on their website, as well as friendly and knowledgeable representatives ready to help. And they take the fear out of ordering custom window coverings by offering free samples and a 60-day money-back satisfaction guarantee. They also have a fit-or-free guarantee, meaning your blinds will fit or they'll make them in a different size, even if you make a mistake in measuring. Absolutely free. Give Blindster a chance to earn your business. It's family-owned. They want to customize things just for you. And get this, my listeners, you'll get 50% off by using promo code MARK at Blindster.com. So use promo code MARK, go to Blindster.com, promo code MARK, get 50% off any order. Blindster.com, promo code MARK. All right, let's get started. 
in how we discuss this. It's been the topic of discussion all over radio today, but that's not good enough. We need to force this into a discussion on news formats that are absolutely ignoring this. Absolutely ignoring it. Cut 13, go. I suspect they're going to need to keep a lot of data. All right, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me set this up. So we, we already got to talking about uh, what the plan is at the Federal Housing Act, how they want to use it. They want to know everybody's income, everybody's job, those who aren't working, those who are retired. They want to know where they live. They want to know what kind of home they have, whether it's an apartment, a condominium, a single-family home, a duplex, whatever it is, a townhouse. They want to know everything about the community. Where are the restaurants? Where are the doctor's offices? Where are the hospitals? Where are the parks? Where are the schools? Who gets to go where? Are there better XYZ in that community than in another community? And the goal is to level out, level out the economic benefits, quote-unquote, level out the housing, in many cases to eliminate single-family houses and to put low-income, dense high-rises in single-family house communities and to advertise the availability of those particular public house, uh, public apartments in communities outside of your community. Now, if you do not comply and you have to fill out these long forms that affect every aspect, you think a, cens- a census form is long? These are massively long forms. You have to give them to the federal government so they can take every kind of measurement necessary about the economy, about race, about more than that. And then they tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, under Joe Biden, they will cut off all your road funds, and that includes road funds that go to the state, that go to your community, so you'll have no money to even fill potholes or to widen roads. In other words, choke the suburbs. This is a way to choke the suburbs and cut off all housing funds, too. Think about that. There's no law that gives them this. They're not even asking for a law. It's a regulation. So now let's start. Cut 13, go. I suspect they're going to need to keep a lot of data on what's going on with schools, where houses are built, what kind of houses are built, who lives in these houses, uh, what kind of, um, uh, of density you have in a particular area, and on and on and on and on. And these federal bureaucrats are going to be doing it out of the HUD building as opposed to people in communities going to their zoning boards, going to their commissioners, going to their city councils. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, Mark. And here's, here's how it really will work. The feds will provide some basic census data to the localities that apply for various um, grants from the federal government. But really, then they will force your locality, your county or your municipality, to fill out a very detailed uh, demographic form. And you're going to have to list where everyone in your jurisdiction lives according to their economic status, according to race, according to ethnicity, if they are immigrants, according to national origin, according to English language proficiency, according to handicap status. And there are, uh, and, and uh, 
I could go on and I will go on and explain how, how that will then be used by the feds. Uh, but one crucial thing you need to know is when you fill out that form, if you check the wrong boxes, uh, you could be opening yourself up to a Now, he doesn't mean by mistake. He means if you check the wrong boxes and you say, well, we have this in our community rather than that, or this number of this, or these, this kind of income in this part of the community. He says, okay, you've just triggered what will be a full-fledged federal audit and investigation of everything your community is doing, and then they're going to grab control. Go ahead. And that would have tremendous negative effects. And we've already seen a kind of run-through of this in Westchester County in New York State, which the Obama administration used as a kind of dry run for its AFFH rule. So if you are sued, that would give the feds an additional lever, say, to force you to go into a regional governmental consortium to force you to remove your zoning and make it the way the feds want, to force you to spend tens and even hundreds of millions of dollars on high-density, low-income housing. There's almost nothing they can't do once they scare you uh, into a lawsuit. And if you fill out that form the wrong way, you are really opening yourself up to a suit. And by the way, folks, this can cost the community hundreds of millions of dollars. Because when they tell a community, you shall build dense, low-income housing over here and over here, and this is how many units, you have to do it. You have no say. This is something community activists have wanted for decades and decades, but they never had the power until one of them got elected president of the United States, Barack Obama. The Fair Housing Act of 1968 has nothing to do with this. That has to do with you are not to discriminate when you're selling or renting. And you shouldn't. This has nothing to do with that. We're talking about communities where there's significant diversity. And as I pointed out at the beginning of that program, and I've talked about here, we have a CBS News report in 2016 looking at a 2010 information. And they point out that 35% of the suburbs are minority. That is 35% of the population in suburbs is minority. There was also a, uh, a, a, a report that was cited by the Atlantic, which is quite left-wing, not too long ago, that indicated that 52% of black people live in the suburbs. 52%. You know, with all the athletes. Cut 14, go. The suburbs, the target of the Democrats, and by target I mean the target for destruction. And the Democrats have kind of showed some ankle, but are now kind of covering it up as Biden wants to get as many votes out of the suburbs, particularly that ring the, the major cities in this country as possible because he views that as the way to victory. Now, Stanley Kurtz, give us, give us the full uh, foundation of what it is that Obama-Biden were trying to do. Absolutely, Mark. Well, you remember before I mentioned that any locality that applies for a federal housing grant is going to have to fill out an elaborate demographic form. You've got to explain where everyone lives in your jurisdiction by income, by race, by ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. That's just the beginning. Once you've done that, you have to compare your suburb's demography 
to the demography of the greater metropolitan region. So again, if you're in Montgomery County or Chester County in suburban Philadelphia, you have to then compare your demography to the demography of the greater Philadelphia region. And if there are any imbalances, if there are different uh, races, ethnicities, or incomes in, uh, in different parts of the region, you have to submit a plan to HUD to remedy that imbalance. And what that uh, means in practice is that if you're an upper-middle-class suburb, you might be obligated to build tens, even hundreds of millions of dollars in what's called high-density, low-income housing and change your zoning regulations if your zoning had allowed only for single-family uh, residences, you know, a house with a nice yard where your kids uh, can play uh, and plenty of parking on the street, that would have to change. And even that is just the beginning, because you then have to inventory everything in your district, which is called a community asset. What is a community asset? Where are the good schools in your district? Where are the parks? Where are the transportation hubs? Where are uh, the employment opportunities in the business district? And if all of that is not equidistant from all of the different demographic and economic groups in your jurisdiction, including the people that you would bring in from other parts of the metropolitan area, then you're also in trouble and you have to develop a plan to fix that. So that's the gist. There's a lot more, as I said, uh, uh, with regard to forcing you into a regional governing consortium. Maybe you'll be sued because you filled out the form in a way that was uh, not very smart. Uh, so those are some of the main traps that are laid for mm -hmm. almost any jurisdiction, especially suburban jurisdiction, that applies for a HUD grant under AFFH as created by Obama-Biden administration. This is shocking stuff. Shocking. It's not a fantasy. It's not a theory. It's reality. This is what they're going to do. And if Donald Trump hadn't come into office, they'd be well down the path on this. And last week, he uh, and his HUD secretary, Carson, eliminated this regulation. But it only takes one election to put it right back in place and to, uh, as they say, turbocharge it. Now, as I'm listening to him now on the radio... Stanley Kurtz. What they want to do is control the movement of people. They want to control the movement of people, where people live and how they live. That'll have an effect, obviously, on lifestyle, have an effect, obviously, on, uh, on income capacity and, and all the rest of it. What does that sound like to you? That is the Americanization, the left's Americanization of Maoist and Stalinist policies, where they're forcing the people in the cities to go out into the agrarian areas. But they did it with death marches, and they did it, you know, with, with, with violence and all. This they would do by regulation. So they want to not only encourage, but in many ways force people in the inner cities to go out to the suburbs and force people in the suburbs to spend money to encourage the movement of people. Not their movement, the movement of people. That the left in the federal bureaucracy, which runs the federal bureaucracy because they're an appendage to the Democrat Party, would impose. I want you to think about this because this is damn serious. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
We don't have enough time to continue, which we will do next hour. But I want to bring to your attention a uh, statement on the Daily Wire. Steelers player won't kneel for anthem. On Monday, Steelers defensive end Stephen Tuitt, he's black, explained that he will not kneel for our flag during the playing of the national anthem, noting his grandmother's success story after immigrating to the United States. After doling out financial advice to other athletes, he said forcefully via social media, also, I'm not kneeling for the flag and screw anybody who has a problem with that. My grandmother was an immigrant from, from the Caribbean and an aged, and she worked her blank off to bring 20 people over the right way, he said. She had no money and educated herself to be a nurse. She's living good now. Good for him. Defensive end, Stefan Tuitt. Well, that is your team, the Steelers. I'm done with my team, the Eagles. They can all go to hell. All right. On a recent episode of Levin TV, I talked about some horrific shootings in Minneapolis, others in Chicago. We talked about the beautiful three-year-old that was shot and killed. Now, why wasn't this tragedy the lead story everywhere? Why aren't these riots the lead story everywhere? Because it doesn't suit the Democrat Party media's preferred narrative. Instead, they continue glorifying the destruction of our national monuments and statues, giving platforms to the Marxist leaders, a Black Lives Matters organization. Keep talking about mostly peaceful protesters who are burning and looting and attacking a, a federal courthouse. At Levin TV, I promise to keep giving you the truth by digging into the stories that matter from a conservative and constitutional perspective. Good information is more important and harder to come by than ever before. The only way we're able to continue with these programs is your direct participation. If you haven't subscribed to Levin TV and Blaze TV, but you're in a position to do so, please consider doing so today. There really has never been a better time. It's very easy to access. You can watch any program you choose or just about, on just about any device, anytime, anywhere. And we work very hard to bring you the best programs we can, by the way. You'll also save $10 on your annual subscription when you enter promo code LEVIN. So that's levintv.com, promo code LEVIN, levintv.com, promo code L-E-V-I-N. More on the Biden war on the American suburbs when I return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, let's return to the war on the suburbs, Biden. Obama and the Democrats. And the racist media wants you to believe this is racist. It has nothing to do with race. People are minding their own business, 
leading their lives, working hard, paying their taxes. Things happen on their own. There's never been so much intermarriage in history of this country. There's never been so much diversity in our communities in this country. But it doesn't matter. They want to play the race game. Well, I'm not playing along. More with my interview with Stanley Kurtz on Biden's goal to was war with the suburbs. Cut 15, go. So my question to you is, given how massively significant this is uh, to the nature of the country, to millions of people who live in the suburbs and millions more who want to live in the suburbs, uh, which are quite diverse, more diverse than ever before in American history, why is it so quiet? Why doesn't the media report it? Why isn't this on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post? Well, that is a great question, Mark. And at one level, the answer is is blindingly um, simple. Uh, they don't talk about it because they understand perfectly well that all the things I've been describing uh, would completely put off suburban voters. And suburban voters are the voters uh, that both Democrats and Republicans are trying to appeal to. So what they've done instead... And by the way, the way, the way you should handle this, if you really believe in the policy is to pass a law. You remember passing a law? You remember civics? Yeah. Uh, you go before the American public and you say, well, here's what we want to do and here's why we want to do it. Now let's have a national debate and pass a law. But instead, it is the habit of the Democratic Party to take a law and really invent meanings in little obscure clauses that were never there and create a massive bureaucratic rule that doesn't have to be publicized in the way that a law would be debated. It's a backdoor strategy. It's very characteristic of the Democrats. And that's very much what's going on here, Mark. Uh, But there's more to it as well. There was a national debate of sorts, at least the beginnings of one, over so-called sprawl uh, in the late 90s. And uh, there was a Time magazine issue with a brawl over sprawl. And at that time, Uh, A lot of the community organizers that Obama worked with and a lot of left-leaning groups uh, affiliated with the Democratic Party were uh, attacking the suburbs with proposals very much like what we find in AFFH. And time and again, we saw the same pattern. And by the way, this is something I lay out in my book, The History of It. And the pattern is this. Uh, These left-wing groups uh, would come in with their proposals And they would find sympathetic state legislators who would hold hearings and uh, there would be protests. But as soon as people got a load of what was actually in these proposals for the suburbs, they were horrified and they backed off, even the liberals. And they said, well, this is very radical. This is this is not going to win. And not only that, it's going to polarize the country. And it's just flat a terrible idea, which is based on hostility to the suburbs. And at that point. The, the greatest advocates of the kind of changes we see in the AFFH rule, they went underground, so to speak. And then um, a bolt of lightning hit, and one of their members became president of the United States. And lo and behold, they were able to run the whole policy menu as a kind of uh, backdoor bureaucratic game. Mm. More on... Biden and the Democrats were on the suburbs because it's coming. If he gets elected within 100 days, they're going to unleash this. And uh, I don't ever want to have to say I told you so. 
because I'm telling you now. Cut 16, go. We've been talking about Westchester County, New York. It's time to delve in. What did the Obama-Biden administration do to that county in New York? Well, Mark, Westchester County, you could say, was the guinea pig of sorts for the affirmatively furthering fair housing regulation. Uh, Now, keep in mind that Westchester County is the fourth most diverse county in New York State. Uh, Around 2016, Westchester County uh, had about 40 percent of its population were uh, black or Hispanic. So this is a very diverse county. And yet a civil rights suit was filed against Westchester County claiming not that they had had any housing discrimination, which is what the Fair Housing Act forbids, but claiming instead that they had falsely promised when they received their HUD grant to affirmatively further fair housing. And the lawsuit used this expansive definition of affirmatively furthering fair housing, which had nothing to do with actually discriminating. Uh, And it was never even alleged that there was housing discrimination, but rather that the, the district simply hadn't done enough to, uh, to create demographic diversity in every part of the district. Now, as I said, Westchester is highly diverse, but there are some somewhat less diverse enclaves. For example, Chappaqua, where Bill and Hillary Clinton live. But that is not because of housing discrimination, but because of economics. It's very expensive to live in Chappaqua. And the way to approach that is to make all Americans more prosperous, which is something that President Trump has been doing. That's the way to handle this, not some massive social engineering effort. Well, after this lawsuit was filed, the Democrat leadership of Westchester County caved. They went to the Obama administration and they said, help us to create some kind of uh, agreement that will get us out of this lawsuit. They should have fought it, but instead they turned to the Obama administration. And using that opportunity, the Obama administration started uh, pushing on Westchester these draconian demands. First, they had to build uh, upwards of $50 uh, $50 million worth of high-density, low-income housing. Then they started pressing them uh, to force the municipalities within Westchester to remove their single-family zoning regulations. Then this high-density, low-income housing Uh, had to be what's called affirmatively advertised. They couldn't just advertise it generally. They had to go particularly to neighborhoods that were not only minority but were poor and um, advertise the housing there. So in other words, they were effectively being forced to abolish their own laws and to spend tens of millions of dollars on people who didn't even live in the county with their own tax revenue. So it really was a kind of federal takeover. And that was just the beginning, because we're talking now about 750 units of high-density, low-income housing, but HUD, using an academic study, later indicated that the ideal solution and the one it would work toward in the long term was the building of 10 thousand units of high-density, low-income housing. And if you actually tried to calculate out the taxing on that, it could, it could potentially raise the taxes on people in Westchester by uh, 
a factor of one or two. In other words, one or two hundred percent increase of taxes mm -hmm. just to pay for all that. And that's the dry run for what every suburb in the country would be subjected to under AFFH. Now, Levinites, I'm so concerned about this issue. I think it's so important to get the word out that I am doing something I've never done. I've never played this much of my Life, Liberty, and Levin show on radio. And I know many of you watched it, but many of you may not have. And so this is something now that really needs to be brought to the fore. And I'm hoping every radio host and TV host starts talking about this, or if they've been talking about it, talk about it more. Particularly newsrooms on our favorite cable channel, newsrooms across America. Let's have the debate. Let's debate it. I don't know why they're ignoring this. I know why the left is. I don't know why others are. And here's our final clip that we'll play. Cut 17, go. I can think off the top of my head of possibly three reactions now that this will get broader attention, and it ought to. And there could be more. Number one, the Biden campaign will lie about it. They'll just lie. They'll say, no, that's not our intention. That's not our plan, when we know, in fact, it is, because it's written. Number two, they will attack those who raise it, including the president of the United States, who has raised it, as white supremacists or promoting white privilege, despite the fact that the suburbs are heavily diverse in terms of uh, minorities living in the suburbs now. Or number three, they'll ignore it, pretend it doesn't exist, or they'll do all three. What do you think? Well, Mark, uh, I do think all of the above is, uh, is a good choice there. I think it would be a terrible tragedy if we were to lose uh, the essence of our governing system, the federalist system, uh, because we were afraid to push back on this issue. The way our system works is that government builds from the ground up and not from the top down. That's been the case uh, since the Pilgrims, uh, since the New England town meeting, and right to the contemporary township. Uh, got, we have a layer of government at the local level, at the state level, and at the federal level. And the local level should do as much as possible, and the higher levels as little as possible. AFFH is a complete reversal of all that. It is a takeover of the, and really destruction of the local level by the federal level. We can't let ourselves surrender that because of false charges of racism. That's not what's at stake here. That's being used as a cover for a power grab by people who think they know how we ought to live. And I think the way to deal with this, because you're right, they don't want to talk about it, is for President Trump, who has already done tremendous work by eliminating this rule. But I think he needs to make a speech. He needs to run ads, but especially a speech that really explains some of the things we're talking about so that the, uh, his opponent is forced to deal with the reality of AFFH. Uh, they may scream and yell and attack, but the more attention that goes to this issue, the more Americans will see what is actually in AFFH. And I don't believe that Biden's plans can survive the scrutiny of Americans. So they'll try to keep it quiet, but it's every day that passes by, it becomes harder and harder to divert public attention from the reality of AFFH. Now, here's the thing, folks. I'm live now. There are 
suburban areas that are purple, somewhat blue or quasi-red, that uh, encircle, in many cases, uh, metropolitan areas. Like, look, I'm not familiar with every state and every metropolitan area, but I'll give you an example. Philadelphia, where I grew up, most of the big counties outside of Philadelphia have moved Democrat. And Biden's counting on Philadelphia and the counties outside of Philadelphia, Montgomery County, Chester County, Delaware County, and so forth, Bucks County, to go overwhelmingly for him. And also counties outside of Pittsburgh, again, that are suburban. And he's counting on them, again, to go for him. And if he wins the minority vote big enough in these cities, as an example, in Pennsylvania, and wins the suburban vote by a big enough margin outside of Philadelphia and outside of Pittsburgh, it almost doesn't matter what the center of the state does, even though there's a significant population there. He'll win the state. So that's their plan. They believe, according to these news articles I'm reading and these polls I'm reading, it's not me, it's them saying he's got a pretty good lead on white, college-educated women in the suburbs. Now, if white, college-educated women in the suburbs, it's funny how they talk race on the left and in the media, and then when you confront it, they say, oh, you must be a racist. If those women and all other women and men in the suburbs, understood the plans the Democrats have for them. I hope they wake the hell up. I really hope they do. Because this won't just pass. The Democrats won't be talked out of this. These are things they want to do for a permanent majority. Destroy the suburbs, turn them purple or blue. That's the goal in their own Maoist, Stalinist way of moving people into communities and out of communities. But to do it through regulation and lawsuits and withholding grants to force capitulation. So they want to change these areas, not just for economic reasons and race reasons that they speak about, but mostly political reasons. That, destroying all notion of serious immigration... They hope that'll do it. And then, of course, they hope that the continued indoctrination of young people and freebies given to other people will ensure that they have a massive voting constituency, that they can win the popular election, they can win the Electoral College, and there's not a damn thing anybody can do to stop the Democrat Party in this country from being a one-party country. If you look at California, California... Voted for Reagan twice to be governor. Had multiple Republican governors. Duke Majin, Pete Wilson. Uh, even the dopey Schwarzenegger there once. Now California's lost. Why? Because they took over. Only took one election. And they did these things and more. And they will attack the voting system too. Write-in voting. Whatever makes it easy. And whatever makes it easy to cheat. Then the game's over. Then we can't win anymore. We just can't win. Popular vote, electoral college vote. They will also rejigger the House of Representatives with gerrymandering. We won't have any voice, none, in Washington, D.C. So they'll rule by the elected branches, they'll rule by the courts, and they'll rule by the bureaucracy. That's why this issue, I've spent so much time on it. I'll continue to spend so much time on it. 
People really need to pay attention. This is the greatest power grab attempted in American history, certainly modern American history. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right. Let's take a call here, I would say. Let us go to Cindy, Mountain View, California, the great KSFO. Go, Cindy. Hey, Mark. How are you? Okay. Um, everyone, everyone needs to know this is actually happening here in California. They mm-hmm. are grabbing things. You'll see a strip mall. They'll take over the strip mall. Next thing, you've got high-density housing. They've even gone to the point where they will take a smaller apartment complex, like let's say maybe eight units, they'll, they'll displace these people. One minute it's terrible to displace people, but if it suits them, they will displace them and put up more high-rise type stuff. The other thing that we see out here is everything is revolving around the homeless. They have a whole different set of laws. They can do whatever they want to. If you and I did it, we'd be in jail. It's, it's, it's happening. So, when, and- when you look, Cindy, at the riots in the streets and how the Democrats are either silent or celebrating or turning the other cheek, uh, when you look at what's happening to housing in these Democrat strongholds, what they're trying to do, what they're doing to businesses, what they're doing to liberty, uh, California was a magnificent, magnificent state. This is their plan for the country. This is their plan for the country. There will be nowhere to escape to, period. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate your call very much. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Mark, Detroit, Michigan, XM Satellite. Mark, how are you, sir? Thank God. Finally. Thank you. How are you, Mark? Sorry you've waited so long. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, you know, what you got? You, you and me, man to man, mm-hmm. just talk it out here. Because why is it? Why the hell is it that you and I and Sean Hannity select people that really know what they're talking about, including the people in the trenches, are the only ones pissed off and the only ones fighting for our president. That's what I want to know. Well, honestly, there's more. I mean, uh, I can think of a whole bunch off the top of my head. My buddy Dan Bongino, my man Rush Limbaugh. There are others. I, I mean, there's a significant list. The problem is outside of talk radio, outside of primetime Fox and some of the guests they have, uh, and outside of a handful of websites, it's tough, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's tough yes, to find them. And I'm, I'm telling you what, it, I'm so glad that you gave me my golden microphone rather than have to listen to the movie stars like De Niro and this and call people out. They can come on over to Detroit and see if they can knock over this statue because we are pissed off. I am tired of normal people being labeled as racist. I'm tired of their agendas. I'm tired of the media shoving crap down our throat. When we, you and I and everyone else knows that it's absolute lies. And the thing that bothers me most is the continuation of the lies and the perpetuation that we are something that we are not. And my son, for instance, just graduated. I waited for years. I put him through school to be law enforcement. Now he's deemed, an, he's deemed a criminal, literally a criminal. Mm, for it's horrible. A, a, yep. And it's just, it's just, it's so disheartening. I didn't get to watch either one of my boys walk down the aisle because of the COVID, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. and. I'm sitting here in my garage every night just putzing. I, I work through the COVID uh, because we're, thank God for the Trump military budget, because I work for an aerospace company, mm-hmm. and we're busy making our swords and our shields for our military. And I thank God for somebody like a president like that. And I see him attacked constantly and what gets me the worst, Mark, is the fact that when I see this, there's people that listen to your radio show, people that listen to his eloquent, and, and I call them eloquent, news briefs and his coronavirus updates, and he gives out information that you never hear, and mm-hmm. it, you won't hear it from the left. You won't look, look at this vaccine issue. I went through this for at least a half hour, maybe 40 minutes in the first hour of the show, give or take, and... That vaccine information, we should be so proud of what the president and his administration is doing, so proud of what our private businesses are doing in in, uh, coordination with certain elements of the federal uh, scientific uh, uh, community. 
so proud of where we are with this. And yet, the headlines are political. It's barely covered. This vaccination, we are so close. And you can see how he's planning ahead on how to produce it, how to distribute it, how to get hundreds of millions of uh, of vials or syringes out, depending on what what the vaccine works and so forth. And, and, uh, and, And rather than looking at that, we get... These, these insane and, and, and poisonous diatribes from a Nancy Pelosi and so forth. Because so much of the media have decided, Mark, that that's their base, that's their niche, that's the only way they can survive. I want to thank you for your call, my friend. We stand shoulder to shoulder. Trust me on this. Let's continue. Let's go to Mike in Fort Worth, Texas, the great WBAP. Go. Hey, Mark, love your show and your voice of reason. Um, with all this innate talk of defunding police, I'm just wondering why no one's calling um, to defund the legislators or the lawmakers who make all the laws that they have to uphold. I mean, well, first, first of all, they have to defund themselves, and they're not going to do that. That's true. So they're not going to vote to defund themselves. They always vote to improve their situation. They, they're not in Social Security. They have a separate pension plan. Uh, they have a magnificent medical plan. Uh, they have pretty damn good salaries, and we pay for all this, all of it. They're elitist. They they absolutely are. They they, they do yeah. in so many respects live in a bubble, and uh, and rather than look out for the for the, you know, one of the failings here is the party system. So you have the Democrat Party cares about their party first, their country, if they get to it, and that's why they defend these mayors, they defend these Democrat voters, and I've been calling them that for a long time who are on a rampage, uh, they want as much chaos and anarchy and discontent as possible. So people, the vast majority of Americans who are not participating in this are watching this and saying, I want some normalcy. I'm not getting normalcy. Trump's the president. I'm voting for Biden. And what we have to explain is the fact that we have what's going on in this country is because of the Democrats and Biden and all the rest trying to topple this president. Yep. And, of course, topple the government. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Fort Worth, Texas. Andrew, Minneapolis, Minnesota, the epicenter on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Mark, Mark, I'm so happy to be on your show. Um, I'm, about, I'm about an hour and a half, two hours southwest of Minneapolis, so it's far enough away where we're not too worried about it out here, um, mm-hmm. what's going on over there. But um, so, Mark, I just want to call in and say, look, I've been listening to you since I'm, I'm 14 years old. I'm now 28 years old. Um, so I've been listening to you for like half my life. Um, you've been just an awesome influence. You never come out here for book signings in the Midwest. Um, it'd be great if you would sometime. Um, and so, um, and I'm going to law school in the fall. Um, Good for you. That's all because of you. So thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, it's so cool to get to talk to you. Well, it, um, it, is, a, it is a great pleasure. Go right ahead. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, well, I just want to make one other point, one kind of more philosophical point about kind of what's going on. Um, so like the left, they always put out these, these kind of ideals that we're, we're supposed to be like striving for and like putting all of our resources towards on like every level. So like it starts with a war on poverty and then, then climate change and then like systematic racism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and like the war on poverty, it's not anything that can ever be won. Obviously, even our Lord said that, you know. But, but and, you know about this war on change. poverty, let me just say this to you, Andrew, was a massive increase 
in the federal bureaucracy, in federal control, and federal funding. And so much of this so-called war on poverty money never gets down to the streets. We pay very expensively for bureaucrats operating out of Washington and operating in these cities. Go right ahead. Right, 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 exactly. And that's, and that's, just, and that's the point. It's just a front. They're, we're not, they're, they don't expect us to actually sort of win these things, quote-unquote. We're just supposed to pour our money money into it, and that just goes to wherever. I mean, we, we can't possibly keep track of where all that money goes. Let, let me ask you, the most important, soulful, heartfelt things you have in your life, is it material? Or is it family and faith and your belief system and your principles? And that's the problem. Because there are things right. that can be done in communities, like school choice, like, like access to, to, to learning about profits and loss and, and, um, and wealth creation and opportunity. Things that don't cost a lot of money. And I notice in these left-wing Democrat cities, these things are not taught. These things are not shown. Uh, none of this is going on, or very little of it. No, no, that's, that's absolutely correct, Mark. And, and I've, as I've gotten into the law community now, going to law school, like I, I read, these Democrats just drive these, 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 these communities they claim to champion, like, like the, the minority groups and so forth. Um, they're, they're just driving them to the ground, like you say, over school choice that makes – you know, they, they don't give them school choice, and it drives them to the ground. They, they put a Planned Parenthood smack in the middle of their, of their neighborhoods, you know, because they, you know, at the end of the day, many of them are eugenicists. You know, they, they yeah. just want to wipe these people out. I, I, hear, I hear in the law, in the law community, like, they, with affirmative action, they... Andrew, they, don't get mad at me. I got to go. I appreciate it. Call us again, okay? I Call will. us again. I appreciate it. Silas, Richmond, Virginia, on the Mark Levin app. Quickly, go. Yes, Mark. This is it Silas or Silas? I apologize. <laughs> Silas. Oh, I'm sorry. Go right ahead. I'm an, I'm an African-American U.S. conservative U.S. history teacher in an inner city mm-hmm. school, so I'm in a lonely place. Mm. But uh, it's a great show, but I'm, I want to add something to this broad conversation about mm-hmm. defunding the police. And what I see is that it's really a front on all behavioral authority institutions altogether. And I've been looking at this for years and watching the, just my kids in the classroom. And it comes down to this, really, that so many are coming from broken homes with no authoritative figure like a father in the home. They really don't know how to respond, and they don't have any trust in the authority. And this whole thing about defunding the police, you know, if you, if you look at them, if you look at some of the tapes when the police stop them, they don't really know how to respect and respond to imperatives like hey sit down put your hands down put your you know uh, they don't they're used to kind of fussing their way through things and and negotiate and manipulating and they don't respond to that they don't respond to direct instruction i see this and this broader thing movement that's going on which is uh, has influences for the nuclear family it's, it's really about this kind of subculture that doesn't really trust authority anymore, and it goes right back to the home. I, you know, I, wrote, a, I wrote a book about this uh, kind of a couple of years ago. What's the name of it? Oh, it's called Mr. Gunderson's Home Economics. It's based on a true story. Mr. Gunderson's Home this, this Economics. Is, this is something I hadn't thought about, and I bet you're right, at least in some respects. Yeah, and it's not part of the larger discussion. So the breakup of the family is a big deal, obviously. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you, you don't the seeds, the whole seed of just learning how to respect and and respect authority. Typically, that's that's from the father's face. Mm-hmm. And and I see it in the classroom where these kids, you know, it's, they have a fight or flight. So you teach in the Richmond School District. I teach in the public school district. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that's district. a that's a tough school district. Yeah. So, so I hear. I have. I have posters of the president on my wall, and I'm oh my always God. trying to to retouch President Trump's posters because they, they they put staples in it and tear it up, and you know, and I just I just pray with a friend, you know, another teacher. Silas, do me a call call again, okay? I really, uh, well, I think I can learn a lot from you. All right? Yeah, well, get the book. I'd like you to get that book too. I'm, I'm take a look at it. God bless you. We'll be right back. Love in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hi. I, I think this this rule has to be challenged more directly. As the housing an rule. Attack. Yes. Yes. As an attempted attack to overturn the Electoral College. They know Donald Trump won 2,500 of 3,100 counties in this country. Mm-hmm. When Obama did well in his election, is because he also won those counties that had broad minority participation. They're trying to use a federal rule to do what they can do on a state-by-state basis. I, I agree with you. We talked about that. It will also help them with uh, gerrymandering. It helps them in every way uh, because it destroys uh, the political system that's been set up. It, uh, it destroys the political um, uh, reality uh, that exists in this country, and they're very devious about this. I want to thank you, Steve. But before we go, I want you to hear Mike Ditka with TMZ on Saturday. Cut six, Mr. Producer. Go. If you can't respect our national anthem, get the hell out of the country. Then that's the way I feel. Of course, I'm old-fashioned, so I'm, I'm only going to say what I feel. Uh, I think there's a way that you, you protest and there's a way you don't protest. You don't protest against the flag. And you don't protest against this country who's given you the opportunity to make a living playing a sport that uh, you never thought would, would happen. So... I don't want to hear all the crap. You want to try it, try it. You don't, it's okay. He kind of speaks for me, doesn't he, you, Mr. Producer? I think my dad would say exactly, my dad would say worse, actually. (laughs) Uh, So would my mother. They were here. 
Uh, but that's kind of what I feel. And I think that defensive end for Pittsburgh, um, he is a, he's a strong man. And I don't just mean physically. Of heart and soul. Talking about his mother coming to the United States from the Caribbean. And how she worked hard and made something of herself. And so did the rest of her family. And look, he's a professional football player. Those stories are never told anymore. Those stories are never told anymore. The first responders are never talked about that way anymore. I wonder what's going to happen on 9-11 this year, Mr. Producer. I wonder how we're going to honor the policemen and the firefighters and the emergency personnel and the Port Authority and all the other law enforcement and law enforcement-related entities that we celebrate on every September 11th. I wonder what the country's going to do this time, Mr. Producer. I wonder what they're going to do in New York City under DeCamio. God almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you all for being here, you magnificent patriots and Levinites, and I'll be here tomorrow. God bless and take care. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.